We're going to get into it. Uh, so if you've got your sermon notes, grab those. If you didn't get one and uh, you need one, just slip up your hand and Lucas back there is going to come to you and make sure you have one of these. We've got a lot of passages. When you're trying to kind of boil down everything the Apostle Paul speaks on this subject we're talking about into just kind of a one 25-minute uh, teaching, that's a little difficult. So um, I've got your passages on here. If I, you see me kind of skip one, I know some of you go like in panic mode if I skip something on the outline. Um, just chill, just go home, and that'll be your own devotion time uh, this morning. Uh, but I'm going to work through most of it today. I'm also uh, going to have an extra teaching for you as well this week. Um, unlike last time where I was kind of like, hey, it's imperative that you kind of listen to this, it flows. This is an extra information type of thing. So this is like you watch the DVD, and then there's some extras at the end that would help you understand a, a bit more. And so I'll have that for you this week. It'll start premiering tomorrow night uh, uh, on our YouTube page. So you can take a look at that uh, as well. So sound good? You everybody got your, got your notes by now? All right, sounds really good. Now, if you've been enjoying this series, then great. There is so much more that you can research on your own and learn on your own. And now you actually have a framework. If you would go back in and reread the New Testament, reread the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reread especially Paul's letters and see what they talk about, then you're going to have a different uh, context and frame of reference. If you're like, man, I've not enjoyed this series. Well, you got this week and next week, and we'll be all done. So like, see, so it's like win-win for, for either spot that you're in. Then we're going to jump in to Advent. Here's what I want to say about Advent, and I'll get going here. Um, during Advent time, I want to challenge you. Every week of Advent, which starts on the 28th, that's our first week of Advent, it goes up to the Sunday before Christmas, December 18, or it's 19, and then we kind of finish it off with Christmas Eve, which we'll do two different Christmas Eves this year, again, 23rd and 24th, just like we did last year, a late option and a kind of a, an afternoon option as well. So look for those. During Advent, I'm going to challenge you, invite someone along with you every Sunday of Advent. Not just the same person each week, but that's at least four people to invite along with you during the Advent season. It's simple. Just go to them and say, hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? I'd love to invite you to come along with us. If they say no, say, hey, no problem. Maybe another time. Move on, right? But invite somebody every single week to join you. During Christmas season is the most likely time. And did you actually know the growing Sunday that somebody is most likely to accept an invite? It's actually no longer Christmas Eve, though people will come. It is actually the Sunday before Christmas. Christmas Sunday is what they call that Sunday morning. That is the most likely Sunday somebody will say yes to come along with you to church. So think about that uh, and invite every week during that series. So last week we talked about Jesus's, his new command. When Jesus tells his disciples, as I have loved you, you will go love others. John chapter 13 kind of spells this out for us. If you don't quite remember that gist, just remember that passage and go read that. And Jesus is very clear. Here's the question then. What did his followers hear and how did his followers then go and put this into action, all right? Have you ever been the leader of something and you shared what you wanted or you shared some action you wanted from the people that you're leading and then they went out and you started scratching your head because what they were doing, you're like, wait, 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 wait that's not what I talked about. And they say, well, you said that and they had this interpretation of whatever you said. I mean, this is like, you know, this is like every month in the church world, right? Somebody will pick up on one or two phrases you say, right? 
So the question is, what did they pick up on and go out and do that Jesus talked about? And we're going to see that Paul and then John, we don't have time to work through John because we only have one more Sunday. So I'm going to leave it to you to read the epistle. That's the letter of John. First John, second John, third John, but especially first John. And you'll see how John picks up on it as well. But especially Paul and John, how they pick up on this theme we talked about last week and they run with it. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Professor uh, Dr. Paul Davis, one time in a a lecture said this phrase, the Apostle Paul had more influence on the development of Christian thought and theology than anyone who has ever lived, including Jesus Christ. It's a bold statement, right? I learned that uh, biblical scholars, they're kind of split on that, whether they would go that far to say that phrase, but they certainly, every one of them, speak so highly of the influence that Paul had, the influence Paul's theology as he is Kind of the apostle, as he writes, he spells out a lot of theological thought, especially in the book of Romans, if you've ever read the book of Romans. Kind of a heavy theological thought in there. But also his letters that speak about how we should live out this thing called Christianity. What we should stay away from, what we should add into it. He speaks quite a bit. So there's no doubt that whether that statement is true, that's not the point of the the sermon, that Paul has significant influence on the early church. We know Paul as apostle, that's what we'd call him. But if we looked at his activity, we might be more likely to call him church planter, Paul. Because everywhere he went, it seemed like there was some followers and a church was able to form uh, in those cities, in those places he preached and he taught. Did you know that when Paul went into a city, he almost every time went into the synagogue, went into the church? Now, he had a few critiques of the synagogue. You might have some critiques of the modern-day church. But he went there, and he shared Jesus and spoke with people there. So let's just jump into this. You might think Paul, as a former Pharisee, right? The Pharisees were the keeper of the law. So think about that was the religious leaders. There's about four different kind of religious leaders. The, The Pharisees were the keepers of the law. And so You might think that a former Pharisee who'd come to know Jesus Christ in this dramatic way, who was then uh, trained up, you might think when he was trying to implement, he might be the absolute best person to bring Christ in and to bring the old covenant in and kind of marry those together and make those work together because he had passionate faith in Christ, no doubt, right away from the beginning. He knew the law like nobody's business. But we actually find, when we get rolling into this, not only is that not true of Paul, that he would take these things and kind of marry them together, we would see he so embraced Christ and what Christ was about that he actually speaks more harshly against the old covenant than even Jesus gives us glimpses of. So let's just jump into this, and we'll walk through some of the logic he has here, and then ask the question, well, so what? What does it matter for us? Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul, actually, what we find is he has a lot of imperatives or how a Christian ought to live. And the question is going to be, well, under what authority or where are you grabbing these things from and now instructing us to live or do this? So let's take a look at it. Get rid of all bitterness, 
rage and anger, good things for a believer, right? Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Those, we would say, yeah, those shouldn't be part of a believer's life. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, which is big, right? Why? Why, Paul? Why should I do all those things? Why should I avoid some of those things? Why should I be kind and compassionate? Why should I forgive, right, to somebody? Why? Because the law tells me to? Because the Bible says so? Paul is going to be very clear, and he says this over and over and over. Take a look at it. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul will set this as a precedent. This is one example of over and over saying, as Christ. Paul leverages what he is asking somebody to do. He leverages the name of Christ, or more directly, the example of Christ. This is what Christ did for you, so this is what you ought to go and do as well. Or this is what Christ showed you, so if you're going to carry this out as well, well, do these things. Don't do those things, because Christ showed us his example. We're going to see this over and over and over again in, in this. Now, I would bore you to death if I just rattled off every single time there was an as Christ, like Christ, or in Christ over and over. In the, I'd just bore you to death, right, if we just read them all off. But it would prove the point. This is what Paul leverages. A former Pharisee who could have leveraged the old covenant leverages the example of Christ over and over again. Take a look at the next verse. This is just a little further in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Following God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Now, I don't know about you, but I you know, try to be a tough guy, right? The way of love sounds kind of wimpy for us, right, sometimes. I mean, I sat and I watched Hallmark for two hours last night. The way of love sounded really wimpy. To me uh, on that. So are you with me, Matilda? I saw you shaking your head. Yeah, it's rough, isn't it? It's rough. Yeah. But I made it all the way through the movie, and it was dramatic. I, I mean, four minutes to go, I thought, are they, are they going to get together? Is it going to happen? I just, I was so tense, so tense. Worked out. Worked out in the end, right? I mean, they didn't even roll the credits before the next one popped up in a box on a screen, and they were off and going on another one. Um, where was I? I don't even know. The way of love, it sounds kind of wimpy until you consider how Christ loved. When you start to consider how Jesus loved and what he actually did, that starts to change things. Listen, you could take the cross and Jesus going and dying on the cross, right? His own blood, sweat, urine, right? We don't like to think that way. You could actually even put that aside and you could take all the other ways that he loved independent of the cross, and make a dramatic case on how Christ loved. If you add in the cross to all of that as well, and the depth of sacrificial love is extreme. Look at what Paul says then. The way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, some of you might be clever, and you just say, whoa, 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 Fragrant offering, sacrifice to God, that's old covenant talk. And you would be right. Paul is actually, what he's doing is he's taking these thoughts that they would have known 
right? These modes of how you worship and what you do. And now he is using those and he's describing what Christ is and what Christ did. And he's transferring it onto Christ and leveraging now in Christ, this is what we're supposed to do. You don't have to bring an animal anymore. You don't have to bring a fragrant offering anymore. It is in Christ that we live this out. When we consider the way of love like that, and we consider now that we are to go love people this way, listen, believers, just praying for somebody, just saying, hey, I love you, I'm thinking of you, doesn't cut it. It doesn't display this level. Now, somebody just misheard me, and they said, oh, he doesn't think prayer is important. I mean, it's not what I've said, right? But it doesn't quite cut it. When we think about the sacrificial love that Jesus made, when we think about what Jesus did, when we think about the times Jesus went out of his way to connect with people relationally, to bring hope in their life and to speak into their life over and over in the Gospels, and that's what we're called to do. That's the way of love for believers. Take a look at Paul goes on. It's one more verse afterwards, so stay in the same context, right? But among you, there is not even to be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of purity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. That sounds like a good Christian verse, right? Now, what we do sometimes is we take one verse, we'll grab that verse and we'll pull it because I want to speak against sexual immorality. I want to speak into purity, right? I don't want you to be greedy. So I'll take this verse and I'll read this. And you know what? Paul is clearly saying these things don't line up with Christian faith. But add it into the context of what he's just saying. And what is Paul getting at? These things don't match up with the way of love. These things, what he's talking about, these things actually hurt people. He's not actually saying don't don't be sexually immoral because, you know, you're just hurting yourself. He's actually speaking of this hurts people when you do this. When you're impure, this hurts people. When you have greed, this hurts people. This is not compatible with the way of love that Jesus is speaking of. It's not compatible with sacrificial love. And so don't do these things. They just don't match up. He continues in just a couple other verses. He says, for you were once darkness. And I like how the translation actually says that because if you look at it in the Greek, there is no, uh, there's no A, there's no the or anything like that. There's no N. It just speaks this way. You were darkness. Like you were defined as darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Put it in context to what Paul's talking about in just those few verses. He's saying, look, this way of love, when we choose to follow Christ and live in Christ and live this way, that is light that we're shining. That is what Paul's calling us to, to live this way. Now, it's over and over. Jesus is actually described as light. We get this as this metaphor. This is what Paul Paul is saying about Jesus. The Gospel of John leads out and speaks about Jesus as light and life as well. These are the metaphor John uses. And so this understanding to live as children of light is clearly to live as children of Christ, to live this way. Now, everywhere Paul went, he would preach, 
He would go to the synagogues he would preach. He would go to whatever secular or Greek establishment he could go to, and he would preach there. And so he's doing it in what we might today say in the church, and he's doing it outside the church as well. And so he's doing this everywhere, every town he goes. And there's always some believers. Not everyone, right? You should be encouraged by that. Because if Paul can go into a place and he can share Jesus, and some people are like, eh, not interested, Paul. You should be encouraged to go share your faith. And it's okay if somebody doesn't come on. During Advent, if you say, hey, would you like to come to church with me? And they say, mm, I don't think so. They'll probably tell you now we're busy. But even if they do come out and say, no, I'm not interested. I don't think I'll like your church at all. Um, if they were blunt like that, it's okay. They were with Paul too. But there was always some that believed. But there also was always, in the Bible, depending on your translation, might call them Judaizers, right? It means those who had become believers in Christ, yet they were still pushing the old covenant and what you needed to do, specifically circumcision, right? And so they would come up behind Paul, and they would preach against some of the stuff that Paul had just said. Not just against Christ, but they would preach against, hey, look, look, Jesus, yeah, but you got to be circumcised too. You've got to keep doing these type of things as well. And it was always an issue. Now, throw in some people who were rejecting Christ as well that were following Paul, and you always had a little bit of a mess behind him. Paul actually speaks to those that were called Judaizers. In this passage, he, he says this. This is in Galatians. He says, as for these agitators, as he calls them, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, that's pretty blunt for Paul. If you missed what he is saying, right? He is saying these people who are coming to new believers, especially Gentile believers, and telling them, hey, if you really want the mark of Christian, you know, if you really want the mark of fallen Christ, you got to be circumcised as well. No great proposition for a grown man, right? Paul is actually saying, I wish they would just go all the way, just castrate themselves if they want us to do that. You know? I mean, that, these are blunt words by Paul. Paul is basically saying, that is not necessary. That's not needed. And these people are speaking in the wrong. He's speaking about the new that Christ came to offer that we have been talking about up till now. Now, he goes on in that same passage. You, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge flesh. Now, let's just pause for a second. This is where sometimes we like to mix and match our own theology with something in the Bible or take it out of context. We're Americans, right? Home of the free, land of the brave, right? We speak in this way. There's dramatic freedom. We, we, we celebrate that on July 4th. Even on Veterans Day a couple days ago, we celebrate that idea of those who went on our behalf, you know, and continue to do so to maintain this freedom. And when we think about verses like this, the free, but don't use your freedom, that's what we're thinking of. We think of, I can do anything I want, because we think about it in this American spirit. That's not what Paul is discussing here. When Paul's speaking about freedom, he's not talking about freedom in, in our terms, you know, in this, uh, this nation. He's talking about freedom from the law, freedom from all that he grew up knowing and learning and even pushing as a Pharisee that we're free from that. 
But then he's wanting to tell them, look, you're free from that. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the sacrificial system. You don't have to do any of that. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh was always the selfishness. That's always what that meant in Scripture when it says the flesh or the worldliness. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I mean, notice what Paul is saying here. Look, don't use your freedom just for your own selfishness. But he inserts right away this idea that Jesus introduces to us last week. Serve one another in love. Now he picks up on what Jesus says. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where do you think he gets that from? Jesus speaks this way. Listen to Paul saying the entire law. Really? The entire law, Paul? Maybe just some of it. The entire law is summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice Paul doesn't go back and say the two things that we talked about Jesus last week. Jesus kind of summed up the law. Remember what they were? Love God, yeah, and love your neighbor, right? And then Jesus comes along and says, a new commandment I give you, love as I have loved you. Paul is taking that new command and he is running with it all the way to the point to speak to those at Galatia here and to say, love your neighbor as yourself is a top priority for believers. If we're going to live this thing out as followers of Christ, that is what it's going to look like. Now, Paul goes a little further with his whole discussion. I'll just share with you this and then you can go look at the book of Galatians more if you want says it this way in Galatians chapter 5, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now, you have to understand that those who were followers of the law, the covenant, the Old Testament covenant, they would be circumcised. Every male would be circumcised. That was the mark that you were in this covenant. And he's saying now, look, in Christ Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcised, doesn't matter of no value anymore. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Listen, don't read past that verse too fast. In fact, you might need to open up your Bible just so you know I'm not making up words here. I didn't arrange these the way I wanted to prove a point. Paul is saying something that's huge. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Another translation, the uh, Zonderman uh, Community Translation, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love means everything. The only thing that counts, Paul? The only thing? Maybe he meant one of the only things that counts. But that's not what he writes. Paul goes so far with this understanding of what Jesus is saying in this new command that he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That means your faith in Christ, my faith in Christ, these followers' faith in Christ, these new followers, whether they Jewish followers, Gentile followers, anyone who's putting their faith and hope in Christ, there is an expected and an understood action of love that would come from this. Notice he doesn't say the only thing that counts is faith. He doesn't say that. Now, that's certainly where our journey with Christ begins. We believe. We have faith in him. 
Paul understood that faith will magnify itself into action, into this love, as we let Christ transform us immediately. James, you might remember his letter, picks up on this theme. He says, faith without works or faith without action is dead. It's dead because faith, true faith in Christ, following Christ, leads to this thing Paul is, is calling the way of love, action, that Jesus spoke of last week. The only thing that counts is just faith. That's the Christianity most of us grew up thinking about. In fact, some of us are still stuck into that. And it's very vertical. It's very just me and God. If I would just get together with God, it's just me and God. I just want to worship. I just want to sing a few songs. I just want to read up some passages for myself. I just, it's me and God. I just want to be with God. Now, again, somebody just heard me saying, he doesn't value being with God? Uh, not at all. It's a absolute significance. About five different passages, Jesus went out early in the morning alone to be with the Father. So I want to do it too if Jesus did it. But Paul is saying, we can get so caught up here that we think I'm going super deep. I'm having this great, incredible time, just me and God, and it never manifests itself horizontally it never sends us out to act in love with someone else. It never exemplifies this, this sacrificial, selfless love that Christ showed over and over and over. And we think, man, I'm living this thing out. Paul is saying, no, there's way more to it. And that's why we say last week and we say again, the old covenant was far simpler. Uh, I'm excuse me, the old covenant was far more complex this new covenant is far simpler, but it is way more demanding, way more demanding on us. No loopholes that show up. Paul, uh, at times, here's one of the times, will actually give his resume, right? He'll say, hey, let me just tell you why I have, I have authority to say this or why I can say this with boldness. Take a look at this one. It comes from Philippians. Though I myself have reason for confidence, if somebody else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have even more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, get this, faultless. Paul describes himself as faultless when it comes to the law. I lived it to a T, to a letter, faultless. I have authority to speak this. But he goes on. But whatever were gains. What gains, Paul? What are gains? We think of gains. Financial gains, right? Material gains. I won a championship in softball. I, when we think of gains in this area, Paul is speaking of the law. Living out the law was his gains. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss... For the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, get this, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What is Paul getting at there? Like Paul is actually saying, look, I could be considered righteous by how I follow the law I can be righteous and not even know God. 
But as long as I keep the law, as long as I check off everything, there are small ways we do this today. You can have perfect church attendance. You can get to your Bible study. You can serve in the soup kitchen. You can do all those type of things. You can check them off and not really know Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at here when he says that. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The righteous meaning what I do now, what I live out now, how I'm viewed by God now, comes on the basis of faith. He goes on, it's actually a little bit earlier in the book of Philippians, and the question will be, well, what's at stake in all this? Like, why should I live all of this out? Why should I take serious this sacrificial and selfless love that Christ is modeling, that Paul is picking up on and preaching over and over? We're looking at one or two passages here. You could go and read his letters, and you'll see how this just flows over and over. Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. He keeps speaking of it over and over in his letters. What's at stake? Why does this push on us so much? People. People are at stake. People far from God are at stake. People who need to hear the hope of Christ. People who have started following Christ and they've just kind of lost their way and they're struggling need to hear this. All of them are at stake. That's why Paul says something like this in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another. Why? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, look, in Christ, this is what it looks like. This is what we do for others. This is how we engage with other people. Is there risk in, in treating people this way and, and living? Absolutely. Are people going to walk on you every once in a while? Totally, right? Are you going to get back what you hoped you got back from them in the way of them kind of believing or turning their life around and those type of things? Not always. That's not our motivation. Paul says just do it as Christ did it. As Christ did for us, this is what we'll do. So the takeaway for us is quite simple this morning. In your relationships with one another, with one another, don't just translate that your family, though put your family in it. Not just your spouse, put your spouse in it. Or your kids, put your kids in it. Not just your neighbors who you kind of get along with but you don't know very well, put them in it. One another, everyone you come into contact with. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's our calling. That's what Paul is getting at over and over. Now, you're going to see, if you'll read these, Paul has a lot of imperatives, a lot of, of, of you should do this, you should not do this. But you go read those passages and make sure you read around and you can see why he speaks in this, what he leverages it to. Nearly always, it's an overt reference to as Christ, like Christ. It leaves us thinking one thing. If you don't know Christ, how do we know this love? How do we know how to offer this love? Can I tell you one last thing? The world's understanding of love and the love Christ is speaking of are not the same thing. Don't be confused because the word is the same. 
The way we know how to love like Christ, selfish, sacrificial love, is if we know Christ. If this morning you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's the place to begin. The place to begin is just simply to say, Lord, forgive me for for not following you. I want to follow you and make you the Lord of my life. Live in this way. A simple prayer like that, heartfelt, in an instant, you're considered a child of God. For others of you that are believers, and for you, (coughs) just living this out has been the hard thing. The belief system has been your thing. I've got my belief system down. I believe in God. But the idea of getting in line and following as Christ and living as Christ, where you can just simply go before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, forgive me for missing it or rejecting it if you were rejecting it. Lord, I want to get in line. Would you show me how I now love like you love? You could start with reading the Gospels. You could start with just prayer and, re- and, and speaking to Christ to reveal more of your heart. But knowing Christ teaches us how to know his love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just these passages. And Father, there's so much more that Paul has to offer us. So would you guide us to the scripture this week on our own? But Father, for even if it's just the one person who this morning is ready to say yes to you for the first time, if that's you, just simply pray like I'm praying. You can say the words to yourself. Lord, forgive me for living life for myself. Come into my life. I want to make you the Lord of my life and follow you from here on out. If you prayed that, then right now, heaven's rejoicing because you're considered now biblically a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And God wants to speak into you teach you and grow you up from here. If you're this morning, you've been in church a long time, and you would say, honestly, I don't really know Jesus. I just know what the preachers have said to me over the years. This could be a morning where you recommit to getting into the word yourself, to learning everything you can about Christ and living it out. May God give you a name this week of somebody that you can go love selflessly and sacrificially. Father, we pray that you would use us to this, this, in this way. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, this is a, a great week as we're coming into um, the holidays. Conversations are easy to get started up because people are talking about new topics.